Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone, any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at that house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias came in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who have invoked your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring by name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me to has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Okay, also like Brenda did not know how long of a passage it was when she signed up and her mom signed her up to read. (laughs) Thank you, Kay. So I'm an NBA fan, mostly the playoffs. I really enjoy uh, the drama of the NBA playoffs. And I remember in 2019, I was watching the Golden State Warriors and one of their stars, Kevin Durant, came back from a calf strain. He had been out for a little while and he had a calf strain uh, when his, and came back from it when his team was down in the finals of the, those playoffs. They were down three games to one and they thought, now is the time that we need our star to come back. But it didn't take long and he was injured within that game. He was injured again. The speculation was that he returned too soon and didn't heal completely. This time he ruptured his Achilles tendon and was out for the entire next year. 
Also, his career was at risk. A lot of people couldn't actually recover from such an injury. I don't know, to me it begs the question, what is, what is involved in healing? What does it really take for physical healing? Physical healing is, <laughs> you're on the right track, Ronan, rest, he said. Physical healing is a little bit easier to understand and to accept. That healing is a process. It involves the elements of wisdom, uh, nurture and support, patience, time. Yes, Ronan, rest is, is key in that physical healing. And maybe you'd agree that if any of these essential elements are missing, then the healing process is jeopardized, or you could even go backwards, like what happened with Kevin Durant. Harder question to understand is what is involved in spiritual or emotional healing? What's involved with that, spiritual and emotional healing? Maybe not one that you think about very often, is it? It's a little bit harder to wrap your heads around. Living in a sinful world, friends, means that we experience wounds on a regular basis. Grief, trauma, disappointments, broken relationships, especially in our world today, we experience all these things in life. All sorts of spiritual and emotional wounds. And these types of wounds require just as much attention, if not more attention, than our physical wounds. But they are much more difficult to understand and to address and to talk about with others. It's pretty easy to talk about if my knee is hurting versus if my soul is hurting. Right? That's a lot harder. A real positive that I see in our culture is the dramatic increase in the need for mental health counselors and resources. And young people today, maybe starting with my generation, are far more willing to talk about things like mental health and, and, um, and, and things related to um, emotional well-being. I've personally benefited from the wisdom and support of different counselors over the last 10 years of my life. It's been life-changing experience to lean on such professionals. But a danger I've noticed within our individu- individualistic culture is the over-reliance upon one-on-one care in the pursuit of right knowledge and right wisdom as the key ingredients, or maybe the only ingredients, for spiritual and emotional healing. Healing in these areas of life is also a process, requiring some of the same elements as physical healing. Probably rest, Ronan. (laughs) Wisdom or insight. Patience. Time. And perhaps most importantly, to experience emotional and spiritual healing, we need support and nurture. That's maybe the most essential elements. And that's what a paid professional is not able to offer you or even to offer me. If I try and call my therapist and say, you know, this is what my day has been like, he's going to say, let's set up an appointment for you. (laughs) And it'll be a professional relationship. Or he's told me, if he sees me at the grocery store, he's supposed to just go the other direction and not actually engage me as a human being. That's just a professional boundary that they need to have. So if we need support and nurture for emotional and spiritual healing, those paid professionals that are essential for us are not able to offer that key ingredient. So I've been thinking a lot about this Scripture passage for several weeks, noticing more and more the nuance about it. This experience that Paul had, friends, was a dramatic transformation. Dramatic transformation. I think it's just as dramatic, actually, as the healing works, the physical healing works that Jesus did. 
Think about it. So this was a hidden thing. This was not something that everybody could see except for uh, Saul's, uh, Paul, he would later become Paul, uh, be named Paul. His behavior would then indicate that this change had happened. But think about it. Saul, who later became Paul, went from thinking that Christians were a threat, thinking that they were the enemy, actually being willing to persecute them, imprison them, and be okay with killing them. He went from that sort of posture towards Christians to loving them and joining them in their life's purpose, in intimate community. That's about as radical a transformation as you could experience with outward behavior. Inwardly, he went from being self-reliant, self-determined, to being totally helpless for three days while being blinded. Totally dependent upon others. Led by the hand. He was then changed on a very deep and spiritual, emotional level. He emerged from this experience with humility instead of pride. Compassion instead of resentment. And he had faith and trust in God, and and particularly in Jesus, that drove his life instead of fear. What if these Christians were threaten our existing religion? Yes, Paul, who was referred to in this text as Saul, was healed physically. Yes, that's clear, clearly happened. But I would, I would argue that the most significant healing that he experienced was the process of spiritual and emotional healing. Saul's pride and resentments and fears were harming his soul and filling the space where the Holy Spirit was always intended to dwell. This three-day process was God's way of bringing him into this place of holistic healing. Brought him to a place of surrender. What I want to be sure that we see today, as we hear these words today, is that the essential ingredient in this process was something that we can uh, take away. Saul experienced healing. The culmination of this healing process for Saul came through the prayers of Ananias. The culmination of this healing journey that Saul had been on came through the prayers of Ananias. Jesus could have healed Saul instantaneously. In that moment, He could have knocked him off the horse, scared him for a few days, and then just met him in the privacy of His own room where He felt safe and comfortable and didn't have to rely upon anyone. Jesus, of course, could have done that, but, but there were lessons to be learned here. There was a deeper work for the Spirit to do. Think about it for Ananias. This was a real-time case study for Ananias in trusting in the Lord. <laughs> and it was a lesson in the redeeming grace of Jesus for Ananias, not just for Saul. I mean, he says it clear as day in the text, like, for real God, this guy? You want me to go and pray for this guy? Are you sure about that? Do you know who he is? Ananias needed to learn about God's grace for yes, even our enemies. And for Saul, this was an experience experience of depending upon others, having a vulnerable posture that would be essential for his healing, for one, and his future ministry. Everything that God had for him to do when he would become known as the Apostle Paul, everything that he was going to do required that he depended upon others with a posture of vulnerability. This experience brought him to that place. Jesus used the prayers of a righteous person to bring healing to Saul and understanding to Ananias. 
I wonder, friends, do we believe that God can use our prayers in the same way? Do we believe that our prayers can bring healing and clarity and and wholeness to others in a similar way? Do we believe that? Not necessarily instantaneous healing. I have my doubts about instantaneous healing of any kind. You know, I just not really seen it or experienced it necessarily. But do we believe that God can use our prayers as a key component of the process of spiritual and emotional healing? I think we should wrestle with that question, not just right now, but for a while. Do we believe that our prayers can bring that sort of transformation in our lives and in the lives of others? Well, I've shared a lot about my background and the effect that alcoholism has had on my family of origin and the choices that I've made in my adult life that created a lot of emotional and spiritual wounds. Some of it started from alcoholism in my family and then some of it was because of my own alcoholism at the time. And then some of it was because of the shame and guilt that was generated from poor choices I made in my early 20s. And so there's spiritual and emotional wounds that come from those experiences. And as I look back, I can see that healing within my heart has been a process. I would like it to be instantaneous. (laughs) I would have liked it to all come all at once when I first started seeing a therapist in 2011 or 10, or I lost count. I would have loved that. But instead, healing has been a process with wisdom and insight, time, Uh, Not much patience (laughs) that's been absent. And most importantly, most importantly in this healing journey has been support. Nurture that I can't provide for myself, though that's also important. Friends, love from Christians has been an essential part of my healing journey all along the way. And as I look back, as I was thinking about this text and I look back on my own life about well, what role has prayer had in this healing journey, I've, I think I've sort of downplayed it in my life. I remember times of healing after uh, people prayed for me just in small, incre- incremental ways, not big revelatory moments. But I remember times of prayer of, that brought some, some amount of healing within my heart in 2008, 2009, very powerfully in 2011 as I sat in a small group sobbing and people laid their hands on me and prayed. Very transformational season of my life right before I met Gina. About a year and a half ago, I started going to celebrate recovery and started to share some of the hurts in my heart that are specific to the recovery journey that if I share them in the church, it's hard for people to relate. You know, maybe, maybe not quite as hard as I realize. <laughs> As I share, I realize that a lot of people have some of this stuff in common. But as I would share in groups, you know, people would come up to me afterwards and offer to pray for me. They knew I was a pastor, but they still said, can I pray for you, pastor? And of, of course. And I experienced healing every time that happened. And it still happens to this day as I meet with some of those recovery friends. Recently, here in our church, as I've gone through the process of of healing. Leaders have prayed for me at very key moments. Very key moments. 
And, that, and those moments have been essential for a healing work that God has brought to my heart. Like, I've been sharing things with leaders and in meetings that I've been afraid to share before. A moment of vulnerability and, and feeling exposed. And key leaders who have been committed to their growth in Christ here through small group and their own personal efforts have offered prayer to me during that time. And in my moments of fear and embarrassment, they offered hugs and grace and support. And in doing so, casting out the greatest fears that I have within my heart of being abandoned or being punished. Praise the Lord for this kind of healing work that has happened. And so, I would like to share with you something that's going to come out in... um, the next newsletter article, which just comes out in a couple weeks. I've written the article already. You don't have to feel like you have to wrap your head around all of this, but I want to share with you a specifically a, a powerful journey of healing, the, the culmination of a journey of healing that's happened within the last month. So I'm just going to read this because it's hard. I value being vulnerable. Okay, You know that about me. <laughs> Some things are harder to be vulnerable about than others. And some require great precision. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I want to share because I value transparency, I value trust, and I value vulnerability as a person. Just as a person, but especially as your pastor. It's also important to me to remind us all of this powerful truth that can easily be forgotten that we've been talking about today. The Holy Spirit brings healing into our lives today. Today. I've experienced dramatic healing within my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. This healing came about through my participation in the practical 12 steps of the uh, Al-Anon family groups. Al-Anon is a 12-step program for people who love someone who is addicted to alcohol or drugs. Participants follow the same 12 steps and 12 traditions that originated in Alcoholics Anonymous. The aim is to experience emotional and spiritual healing from the damage caused, by, by, caused to families by the disease of alcoholism. So like many people, I've experienced waves of burnout on and off for two years or maybe longer, maybe three years, maybe even four years if I'm honest. I've frequently believed that the pressures of ministry were the source of burnout for me. This is why a year ago I took one, year, one month of renewal leave because I was feeling very burnt out. And while that time away helped some, uh, I didn't feel like I got to the root cause of the inner turmoil that I was experiencing. That sense of turmoil continued to build in my heart over the last year, especially since this past January. In January, I began step four of the 12 steps, which brought me face-to-face with resentments, guilt and shame and fears in all areas of my life. Examining these areas of of life is a crucial component for the healing hope that the 12 steps offer. Still, this process only accelerated the inner turmoil that was in my heart and soul. Then navigating change as a church began to reveal the unhealthy level of stress that I was carrying in my heart as these things came out through my behavior. I had become defensive on edge and was experiencing waves of anxiety and depression and had trouble sleeping for months. I started to believe that maybe I wasn't suited for ministry or at minimum I would need an extended sabbatical, which I knew would be difficult. 
This is where the story gets interesting. Step six in the Al-Anon program involves asking God for the willingness, just the willingness only, to have God remove all the fears and hurts and resentments that are uncovered in step four. So on May 17th, I wrote out in my journal, I have a journal where I journal all the 12 steps. I wrote out in my journal asking God, begging God for the willingness to let go of all this turmoil in my heart. And I knew it would be difficult for me. So a series of events led to Gina and I hiking together nine days later. And while hiking, I started to see my life with new vision. I could see with great clarity all the amazing ways that the Holy Spirit had been working in my personal life, in our community, and in our church. And with equal clarity, I could see that my holding on to this turmoil was actually the source of my burnout and was getting in the way of what God was doing among us. Gina and I decided to pray together following this moment of revelation. In that prayer, I repented for unwillingly holding on to all this stuff in my heart. I asked God to take it all away from me and grant me inner freedom with Christ. I didn't realize at the time that in that moment I was praying step seven. This is step seven, which is humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. It's like they put the steps in that that order for a reason. (laughs) This experience has proven to be the means of great healing for me. Since that time, I have felt a huge weight lifted from my heart. I feel immense immense amount of gratitude, compassion, hope, love, and peace all within my heart. I feel energized and excited for ministry in ways I haven't since before the pandemic. This experience has been the clearest example of a spiritual awakening that I've ever had in my life. It's sort of like what people experience following the Walk to Emmaus retreat. It's hard to articulate the shift that has occurred. It's hard to articulate what you can see that you couldn't see before. But it's clear that God has brought healing and renewal to my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, the prayers of others, and the practicality of the 12 steps. So here's the hard part. While I feel a tremendous relief and excitement, I will still be taking a second round of renewal leave for the next six weeks. Our SPRC, our district superintendent, our bishop, and I all believe that this time away will be beneficial for me. Pastors are encouraged to take a sabbatical once every seven to eight years in ministry. So I've been in ministry for eight years now. Me taking this six weeks in combination with four weeks last year is what I see as, my, as a way of spreading out a sabbatical over two summers. This time, I feel confident that I will continue to experience healing and renewal while I'm away. It's as if uh, last year I had a knee injury. This is how I see it. That's why I like the Kevin Durant example. It's as if last year I had a, like a busted up ACL on my knee and I could hardly walk. And I said, well, what if I just put it up for a month, <laughs> right? And of course, as I came back, it's, it's not healed. It's, it needs some greater work. And this experience that I'm telling you about is like God has done a surgery on my soul, but now I, I still need to rest and recover to make sure I heal uh, in the right way. I know some of you have had knee replacement. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Many of you. <laughs> so while I'm away, I, I intend to use the time to continue working the 12 steps, hopefully finish them, 
reconnect with God more deeply, and spend time with friends and family. Uh, friends, I live here. I love living here in this community. You'll see me out and about in the community. I'm not going to hide from you. I actually I look forward to seeing you and, and, and saying hello in those moments. I'll be gone uh, June 19th, which is tomorrow, uh, through July 30th. Uh, you'll be blessed with a variety of preachers and worship leaders over these six weeks. A retired UMC pastor, Joanne Taylor, who lives in New Ulm, will be on, on uh, call for pastoral care, along with Guy Serdesky, who's retired pastor currently serving at Buford UMC. He'll also be on call for pastoral care. And I'm confident that these weeks will be a, also be a blessing to the congregation in many ways. Uh, we have an incredible congregation and leadership team who have carried the church through many moments of our history. I look forward to hearing about the moments of inspiration and grace that the Lord brings to all of you while I'm away. Here's a really key part, okay? I can't say enough how grateful I am for all of you. I can't say, I can't say that enough. I've never felt more honored and excited to be your pastor. I really, I honestly would have liked to share these details of my leave much sooner. This is really sudden, which is part of the reason I'm being so transparent about it, is I don't want you to wonder, like, what's going on? <laughs> Who wouldn't wonder that, right? But the details of this leave and the timing and whatever were only recently decided, and then they had to they had to be voted on and approved in a sequence of steps and, and there was discussion along the way about what's best for the congregation as well as for me. Um, so it's my sincere hope and prayer that my willingness to be transparent in this way, this, this is more than I would like to be. <laughs> this is more <laughs> transparent than I would like to be. But friends, I trust that this will bring you a renewed sense of hope and healing and the, and the healing power of Jesus I told God like two days after this happened, like, okay, God, I'll tell whoever you want me to tell. At that time, I said, I'm not going to share it in front of the congregation. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> but when God does something, and it's so clear that, it's, that God is behind it, then that's, that's something I want to share, no matter how uncomfortable it might be for me. I'm praying, uh, well, I wanted to say that Jesus heals our hearts and renews our spirits as we open ourselves more fully to Him. And I'm praying that you would know the peace that surpasses understanding and receive the promise of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 31 in the weeks to come, which is this. Isaiah 40 reads, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the heavens of of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will, will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Amen.